6. John chapter 6. We're going to be spending a little bit of time with the Apostle John both this week and next week. Um, in two moments of his life when he faced um, uncertainty, fear, um, disappointment, doubts, uh, both in this gospel account of Jesus coming to the disciples on the water, on the sea, and then in the book of Revelation when John finds himself alone. And again, his Savior comes to comfort him. So John chapter 6, verses 16 through 17. I'd ask you to please stand if you are able for the reading of God's word. John 6, 16 through 17. This is God's word. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This ends the reading of God's word. Please pray with me. Father, as our Savior prayed for us, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Show us Christ and his grace in this remarkable story in John's gospel. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, transform us by that grace into people who know you and love you and follow you more and more each day. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this story we're looking at today is also found in um, some of the other gospel accounts. In Mark's gospel, uh, we read that the disciples strained against the oars. And here in the gospel of John, uh, we read that the waters grew rough. So taking this picture together, straining against the oars through rough waters. What a picture of life that is, don't you think? Straining against the oars through rough waters. You and I know what it's like to strain against the oars. Uh, we, we do this trying to make headway through difficulties, discouragements, disappointments. Uh, there are a lot of pictures for life's hard times in Scripture. Uh, Jeremiah in the pit. Job on the ash heap. Sailing through storms. We all know what it's like to face this experience. Sailing through storms. Longing for God to show up and to bring us to safety. When the news is bleak, when the future is uncertain, when the road ahead isn't clear, what will it take for us to trust God in the darkest and stormiest moments of our lives? Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear the voice of comfort in John 6 this morning. It was the voice that calmed the disciples' fears, and it's the voice that calms our fears as we face so many of life's troubles. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what churning storm and turbulent sea is threatening to flip your faith, you need to hear this voice of comfort. The voice of comfort that came to the disciples comes to you this morning from Jesus, saying, It is I, do not be afraid. Here's the encouragement that I want to show you from John 6 this morning, and it's this. Because Jesus is with you in the darkest, fiercest storms you face, you don't need to be afraid. Because Jesus is with you 
in the darkest, fiercest storms you face, you don't need to be afraid. We're going to look at two things in this story this morning. First, the danger we face, and second, the deliverance Jesus brings. So let's look first at the danger we face, verses 16 to 19. As I mentioned, before we start really digging into John's account of this story, uh, this is a concise uh, retelling of something that the other gospel uh, writers also uh, give to us in their gospel accounts. Uh, We all tell stories uh, about things that happen with more or less detail, right? Depending on the context, depending on the point we're trying to make. Uh, That's what I think accounts for some of the differences we see in the gospel accounts of this story. For example, when Matthew tells the story, he includes Peter's attempt to walk on the water. That's a great story, of course, and we learn many great lessons from that. Each account is getting its point across in its own way. But what I want to do this morning is to focus mainly on what John is doing as he tells this story to us in his gospel and how this story really fits in to what John is trying to get at in the gospel of John. So we know from Matthew and Mark that Jesus had sent the disciples on ahead to Capernaum uh, to the other side of Galilee. Uh, Jesus has gone away to pray and the disciples are rowing across the Sea of Galilee without the Savior. I love how one writer, uh, Hermann Ruderboss, put it in his commentary on this story. He said that by sending the disciples on ahead and going away by himself to pray, Jesus becomes the absent one in this story. The absent one. And that's an idea I want to work with this morning as we look at John 6. You see, at first blush, the absent one seems like uh, sort of out of place for Jesus as a title for Jesus, but it makes a powerful point. That's exactly what the disciples are up against in this story. They're facing a terrifying circumstance, and for everything they can see, as far as they can tell, Jesus is nowhere to be found. He is the absent one in the story. He's nowhere to be seen. And John tells us that a strong wind is blowing, and the waters are growing rough. This figure of speech John uses, of the, it, it shows the, this imagery of the, the winds blowing over the waters and they're growing rough, we read in our English translation, but really it's this idea that they're being awakened. The waters are being stirred awake like a living thing. And we get the sense in this story that the Sea of Galilee is a beast you don't want to wake up. 64 square miles of water, just a little smaller actually than Washington, D.C., Uh, mountains to the north, the Golan Heights, and then the sea sits about 700 feet below sea level. It's a recipe for these fierce storms as the cool mountain air comes and crashes into the warm uh, sea breeze below. And these are not modern fiberglass fishing boats that are going back and forth across the sea. Remember, the disciples were straining against the oars. These are old wooden fishing boats. This would be a challenge, a danger, even for the most seasoned fishermen on the sea. So here are the disciples in the middle of the lake, and the absent one, Jesus their Lord, is nowhere to be found. Can you imagine just what is going through the disciples' minds as they face this dangerous storm? Where are you, Jesus? You promised us that some very, very important and good things are coming, and we don't think we're even going to make it to the other side of this sea. It looks like we're going under. How are we going to be saved? Well, keeping all that in mind, I want to step back for a minute 
and look together at how this story connects uh, to a much larger story, to the great story of Scripture, the great story of redemption that we read throughout the Bible. Uh, The good news, the voice of comfort that comes to the disciples facing this storm is only good news because of the way this story connects with the great story of Scripture. There was another time when God's people faced doubts and discouragements and disappointments and dangers in the story of Scripture. And this moment happened long before John 6, all the way back in the Exodus from Egypt, when the people of Israel were in danger on the banks of the Red Sea. And it's not just a similar story. This is like that. No, I believe it is a connected story. I'm convinced that John tells this story here uh, because he intends for us to see the connection, the fulfillment in Jesus of what happened at the Red Sea, this great deliverance on that sea. We can see this, for example, earlier in John 6, uh, in John 6, 14 through 15, uh, Jesus has miraculously multiplied the loaves and the fish. So he has multiplied this bread and then he withdraws from the crowds because they want to make him king. Surely this is the prophet, they say, who has come into the world. Well, what is that about? Well, see, they're piecing together who Jesus is. They see this miracle of bread and more bread and more bread, and they say, this is like the manna that God sent to our fathers in the wilderness. So this is all part of John's point in this chapter. Later, after this story of the storm on the sea, we go back to the the idea of manna, and Jesus says, I am the bread who has come down from heaven. So why is this storm on the sea right in the middle of this chapter talking about Jesus being the bread come down from heaven? What's the point of telling this story at this moment? We'll explain that. But the people say then, he's the prophet, let's make him king. What do they mean when they say he's the prophet? Well, they're thinking of Deuteronomy 18, where the people are told that a prophet greater than Moses would be raised up from among them and that they should listen to him. So they're connecting the dots and they think, This is it. Our Messiah has come and he is going to free us from oppression. Be our king. Be our ruler. Do what Moses did. Deliver us. But that's not how this king will take his throne. They wanted Jesus to do what Moses did. Deliver them from oppression and physical slavery. But Jesus is bringing a deliverance that is far greater than they could possibly imagine. Jesus won't accomplish this deliverance through political power this king is going to deliver his people from their sins. So that's the context of the story we're looking at. This is the flow of John 6, multiplying the bread. This must be the prophet, storm scene, and then manna. So what is this storm scene here for? Well, I believe that John is connecting this to the Red Sea deliverance. Listen to Psalm 77. It draws this connection between Israel's despair on the Red Sea and the disciples' danger on the Sea of Galilee. It's very vivid. Verse 15 and following, With your mighty arm you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. The Red Sea, to put it in John's terms, was awakened. So we have this connection between what would become the 12 tribes of Israel facing this danger uh, on the sea, that's the Red Sea, on the banks of the Red Sea, and then the 12 disciples in danger on the boat. And in both stories, where is God? Is what they're thinking. The absent one, the where is God 
thought in both stories. Where is God when Pharaoh's armies are pressing against the people on the banks of the Red Sea? Where is God when the disciples are sitting there in the boat with the waves crashing over the sides? Brothers and sisters, this is a good moment to ask a question of ourselves. Where is Jesus in the fears we're facing? Where is Jesus when what you most fear is threatening what you most love? The sea, as I was talking about with the kids a moment ago, throughout the Bible, it represents chaos and evil and danger. Monsters lurk in the deep. Psalm 46 is a good example of this. The mountains, this place of safety, never moving, foundational, unassailable, are set in contrast with the sea's foamy surge and roar. Psalm 46, 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and form and the foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Let me ask you a question. Where is God when your mountain is cast into your sea? When your place of safety is cast into what you most dread? You receive notice that the company is being downsized and you don't have a job anymore. Uh, you receive the phone call that a loved one has been in a car accident and is in the hospital. Uh, you find a letter saying that the marriage is over. We face fears in our personal life, in our family life, in our church life, fear and worry and doubt surrounding us. Where is God? Is he absent? Is God there? Or isn't he? We just read from Psalm 77 how the Red Sea was awakened in fury like Galilee. And, and when Asaph writes Psalm 77, he's struggling with that idea. Where is God? It's that same question of the absent one. Verse 1 and following in Psalm 77, Asaph says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. Where is God? Does that sound familiar? Have you cried out wondering where God is in the middle of whatever it is that's threatening your faith? But Asaph doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out His right hand. He's appealing to that moment of deliverance at the Red Sea. When the Most High stretched out His right hand through Moses. And in the midst of the chaos and the danger and the fear on that sea, these are the words God spoke to the people. And don't miss these words. Exodus 14, 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that He will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It's a voice of comfort. Those same words that Jesus speaks to the disciples on the sea. Do not be afraid. The absent one was never absent. He spoke through Moses and now he comes to the disciples on the sea speaking in a voice of comfort. So we've seen this uh, danger that the disciples face. Let's look now at the deliverance that Jesus brings as he tells them, do not be afraid. They're in the dark and the storm on the sea and the danger they face. Jesus brings deliverance. Uh, John tells us when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Well, of course they're frightened. 
Mark fills us in on why they thought they saw a ghost. Remember, the sea is danger, chaos, evil. So, of course, they saw a ghost. Monsters, death, and danger. And here comes this person walking to us on the water. A ghost, just what we need right now. But he says to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. When Jesus comes walking over that water and the chaos and the evil that is represented there, we see that this Jesus is king over all creation. He made the water that he's walking on. Genesis 1 and 2, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And here comes Jesus walking on the wind and the seas that he created. And this sea does his bidding. It answers to his voice. He is the incarnate word that John said in the first chapter of his gospel, created all things. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. This is the Christ who meets them in the storm they face. But this is more than just, look, Jesus the Creator is walking to us on the sea. This is pointing to Jesus the Redeemer who fulfills the great story of redemption. He's the better Moses who brings the final deliverance from the fiercest enemy forever. The people of Israel were shaking in fear on the banks of the Red Sea and Moses tells them not to be afraid. But what happens next? How does the absent one appear in that story? Well, Psalm 77, 19, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. He was not absent when the people crossed through the Red Sea as it was opened before them. It was the way of the Lord. His footprints were unseen, but he led them through. He was there. But now get this. In this story we read in John 6, the Savior is seen walking on the waves. He is seen coming to them on the boat, walking in the storm. He is the greater than Moses. Not simply because he's a prophet who will deliver his people from this greater captivity of sin and death, but because he himself is the divine word become flesh. He walks on the waves and he says to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Well, what happens next? John says they were willing to take him into the boat. It seems like a given. Where were you, Jesus? It's about time. They bring him into the boat. And then there's this little miracle within a miracle in the story. They take him into the boat, and we read immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Uh, there's another psalm, and we've heard it read this morning, uh, Psalm 107, that probably helps uh, the, the shaping of this story, the way John shapes this story as he tells us about what happened. In Psalm 107, I won't read the whole thing again, but we read about the, the storm on the sea and the sailors battling the waves, crying out to God. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading jesus brings his people to their desired haven well while the disciples should have gotten this story they should have understood what was happening here as so often is the case with them and with us they just didn't get it uh, someone has observed they just had the miracle of the bread and the loaves they probably had baskets of leftover bread sitting in the boat with them. 
evidence of their master's power and who Jesus is, but they didn't get it. Mark tells us why in Mark 6, 51-52. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And friends, I just want to plead with you this morning, don't let your heart be hardened as you hear of this amazing deliverance that Jesus brings. See the mercy and the grace of God in your Savior Jesus Christ, who tells you, it is I. Do not be afraid. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your fear and worry and danger that you face right now, Jesus went through far more than that to be by your side in the darkest storm. Even the darkest moments that we face, the highest waves that threaten to come over the sides of our faith and to flip us and and, and run us aground, they are nothing compared to what Jesus went through to be by our side in the darkest storm. Nothing compared to the judgment that awaited us and the judgment that he took upon himself. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure what this is about and you're not sure you need to run to Jesus, you need to run to Jesus because this storm still is coming for those who don't run to Jesus and there is no outrowing what is coming. You can't escape what is coming. Jeremiah 30, see the storm the Lord will bring bursting out in wrath, a driving wind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In the days to come, you will understand this. And friends, the day has come to understand this. When God breaks forth like a storm, bringing the just penalty for sin and rebellion against him, you want Jesus in the boat with you. You want Jesus to have taken that wrath upon himself for you. You want that voice of comfort that says to you clearly, lovingly, with nail-scarred hands for you, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus experienced this idea of the absent one. When on the cross, he felt what it is to be abandoned. When he cried out in his human experience, my God, my God, why are you the absent one? Why have you forsaken me? So when you look around and it looks as if God is nowhere to be found, Jesus knows what that experience feels like. But he has gone through that so that you never need to be alone. There is no absent one in your story, as much as it may feel like that. God is not absent. He is present. Listen to these wonderful words from the writer who gave us this absent one title, because I think it's so encouraging. In virtue of the glory given him by God, no darkness was too deep, waves too high, or sea too wide for him to find them and be with them in the midst of that tumult. Isn't that good news? No darkness too deep, no waves too high, no sea too wide. Jesus will still get to you. And he still comes to you with that voice of comfort saying, it is I, do not be afraid. Let's pray together. Father, we struggle to hear that voice of comfort and those words of assurance over the din of all that threatens us. We struggle to believe those words even when we hear it because it can hurt sometimes living in this world. Father, we pray that you would be with us by your Spirit and that you would make it known to us every moment 
that Jesus is never absent. Father, we pray that we would be a people who looks to you beyond waves, beyond storms, knowing that you will take us to our desired haven. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.